Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is our 102nd episode, and today we'll be chatting with Adam Mikulski. Adam is an incredible entrepreneur based out of New York City. After studying finance, Adam started his career in banking, working with large corporate clients. Through his experience, he began to understand business operations and financing. He then started to immerse himself in the local startup scene and taught himself more about tech startups. He launched a side project called Dorm Chat, and after growing it to 15 campuses and raising a seed round, Adam went in full-time. Unfortunately, one year later, he made the difficult decision to shut it down. But mobile and startups was still a passion for Adam, and he found his way onto the GoButler team as they closed a massive Series A round where they were setting up operations in the U.S. Following his time with Go Butler, Adam came across an opportunity to join the team at Branch Metrics and helping set up an East Coast office in New York. He now helps lead Partner Growth, where he continues to work with some of the biggest mobile companies out there. Adam joins us to explore the rapidly changing world of mobile, why messaging and bots were hot even years ago, and how the web and mobile are still evolving so quickly. I'm really excited about this episode because of how much authenticity and energy Adam brought to the conversation and just the depth of his advice for other founders. The entire conversation felt like catching up with old friends with so much insights to share, and it was just incredible to listen to. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Adam. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Us too. We've been uh, super excited to have you on, uh, you know, chatting over the past couple of weeks about, you know, finding a good time and stuff like that. So how, how about we, we kick this episode off by learning a bit more about you. Can you tell us where you're from and, and what you studied? Yeah, so a little bit about myself. I was actually born in Montreal, um, although I didn't spend too much time there. I was there until about three years old um, and actually grew up the majority of my life in New Jersey. But fun fact, I have a dual citizenship, so I can go back and forth to Canada. Cool, that's awesome. <laughs> um, wound up, actually, a little bit about my childhood. Uh, my father was from Poland, um, so I got a little bit of a hardcore European uh, education kind of growing up with more physical labor, but always being, uh, you know, immersed in kind of entrepreneurship. Um, my father had his own businesses and that kind of spans back a couple of generations. So always had the ability to kind of, uh, be taught through the school of hard knocks, which, you know, I think that's a, like a theme that will kind of resonate throughout the conversation here, which is why I bring it up. Ultimately wound up going over to Penn state university where I majored in finance. Why? Because uh, that was kind of the thing to do at the school, you know, so everyone was uh, going into finance. It was still, this was around 2007, so right before, you know, the crash hit. Um, regardless, the school was just very finance focused, so decided to ultimately move towards uh, a banking career. Graduated in 2011, went to go work for this regional bank called PNC Bank, where I was working with a lot of uh, kind of what we classified as the middle market. So companies with 30 to 500 million in revenue dealing primarily with debt. So any types of loans that they were looking to get, whether that just be, you know, directly through PNC's uh, institution or even on the syndicated side. Awesome experience. You know, I got to see a significant amount of opportunities uh, in terms of we were really industry agnostic. Um, so it gave me kind of my, my first 
step of actually understanding, you know, business in general. My job was to work with a lot of the C-level suite people to um, understand what it was that their business did. You know, did it make sense for us to kind of commit the capital in terms of debt from a, from a bank perspective? Um, and throughout that process, really got to see the inner workings of uh, a variety of different companies. So that was, uh, that was a cool, a very good opportunity that gave me a good breath in, in just business in general. Throughout that process, I was at PNC for about three years. I actually wound up uh, getting, you know, the NY tech scene at that point was really blowing up. Um, I wanted to get involved, but didn't necessarily know how. I didn't come from a traditional tech background. So I want, so basically, I mean, what I did was nights, weekends, whenever I could, um, really just immersing myself, whether that be attending events, uh, trying to get involved in like advisor capacities, whatever I really could to kind of under, like just, just immerse myself in the, in the tech scene. Um, inclusive of just reading everything I can get my hands on. And after a while, you know, I started to uh, at least get myself to a point where I, I thought I knew a, a thing or two, you know. Uh, I wound up actually starting a, a mobile application called DormChat. Uh, I was doing this actually as I was still working. So this was like really, you know, bootstrapping it, nights, weekends, committing my own capital. Um, eventually raised a little bit of money from my, uh, my family. And wound up getting it to the point where about eight months in, we had some pretty meaningful traction. We were an iOS application. Essentially what DormChat is, is it allows you to, uh, to chat with your local community. Uh, we were kind of the direct competitor of Yik Yak, so geolocal chat, um, but focused 100% on college students. Um, and wound up actually scaling that to about, I think it was uh, 15 universities before I raised a, a seed round of capital. Um, and went full-time on the project. So that was kind of my first entrepreneurial experience where I actually went out on my own. And yeah, it was scary as hell, but it was also probably the best decision I've also ever made in my life because you know, I was coming from more of your traditional corporate background where it's tough to kind of break out of that mold. Um, and then when you're out on your own, you know, you're doing everything by yourself. So it was great. I had uh, the backing of uh, a local VC firm over here called FFVC. Um, John Frankel, I still think, is one of the, uh, the best uh, partners out there in the business over here in New York. A little bit of a plug for him. <laughs> but then um, wound up actually making, like, so, uh, so took that capital, went to a, uh, raised it to about 60, um, 60 colleges uh, using the seed round. Uh, we, you know, we hired, brought on a couple people. Then got to the point where I was at my next round of funding and I didn't necessarily see you know, the, what I thought was necessary to achieve our vision of actually solving geolocal chat, of providing a solution that would be ubiquitous in the market. And it was tough because I was raising not only institutional money at this point, we were going for a fairly large round or what I thought was a fairly large round. And it was not just institutional money, but I was also still raising money from friends and family. Um, didn't necessarily see the ability for us, you know, with the capital that we were going to get to kind of achieve our vision. So ultimately decided not to pursue the additional round of capital and instead figure out what to do next. Essentially, you know, take the take the, the company behind the, the barn and shoot it, if you will. It wasn't it wasn't something that I really fully believed in. It was a very difficult decision because I was something that I was extremely passionate about, basically working for an entire year, seven days a week um, and thinking about nothing but, you know, solving geolocal chat to deciding that it wasn't. I didn't necessarily see the market viability. I had to be realistic with myself. 
From there, I actually you know, took a couple months off. Uh, what I like to say is I did a little bit of uh, surfing, soul searching, if you will. Um, didn't have any money at this point in time because uh, I wasn't paying myself anything when I was working at the company. And actually went to eventually was interviewing at a couple places. And I still wanted to stay in consumer. I had this unique background where messaging at that point in time was you know, blowing up all over the place. This is kind of the core type for messaging. And I came from an area where like, that's all I was thinking about was messaging in general. So I kind of wanted to stay in the messaging space. I wanted to stay you know, focused on consumer. And I wanted to kind of see what, what I thought was really the next big opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, which ultimately for me, I thought was kind of bots before they were bots, you know? Uh, so there was this company called Go Butler. It was started out of Berlin. Um, we had a competitor on the West Coast called Magic, and they were really the first two to market. Uh, I think Magic was first, Go Butler was really second in terms of actually being able to text via SMS and fulfill whatever service it is that you want. It was really this horizontal layer of we'll take out all the complexity. You just text us what you want and we'll figure it out. This was a company that, I mean, when Go Butler actually, so like I said, they were based in Berlin, but they were opening up their New York office by nature of raising their Series A. And they were looking for somebody to come on from a BD perspective as well as operations. So they're looking for a small, like a kind of the exact skill set that I had. Um, in terms of taking, you know, a smaller company and really growing it, except at this point, it was a significant amount more resources. We, uh, at that point, had closed $11 million Series A. Um, so it gave me the ability to kind of jump into more of where I previously had a, a seed stage background. This was more of, uh, you know, the Series A. The, 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 we're not a product market fit yet, but we're much closer than I was before. And got to see a little bit of the growth stage, you know, what happens when a company actually has money. So I joined, the, I joined Go Butler to, like I said, focus on business development, focus on um, operations. And at first, it was really primarily operations. So all these queries, when a consumer were, was, would text into the service, were being actually answered by, by real humans. So a good example, you text in for, you know, food delivery. We're going to find out, okay, is that a restaurant that delivers? If so, we're probably going to go at least like in the New York market, we're going to go to a seamless and get that fulfilled for you very quickly. Does that, does that restaurant not deliver? Then yeah, we're going to go to uh, probably a Postmates, check there first, Postmates, DoorDash, something along those lines, using pretty much every single on-demand service out there. Because we were covering the United States, we were covering um, Canada based out of the New York office, the office that I was running from an operational standpoint. But then we also had an office in Berlin that was focusing on all of Europe. So really great experience. Got to see a lot of, you know, on demand. How was it playing out? And in terms of like what bots were, you know, this was kind of what all that we were thinking about, except that we were kind of marrying the two. We were marrying, you know, how much of this is going to be tech? How much of this is going to be actual automation or, you know, what gets kind of loosely thrown around now in terms of AI? That's where I would say we were really thinking about this before there was a market. You know, um, Facebook, Facebook kind of came in later to uh, with they launched a competitive product called Facebook M doing pretty much the exact same thing as us, where they'd be answering these queries from a like a manual perspective but essentially collecting all of that conversational data so that they could feed uh, in that in natural language so that they could feed that natural language data into their NLP and make it smarter. So that, I mean, the more data that you have essentially with that, that big data feeding into the NLP, the better that you can answer these queries or at least automate them. We could touch base on that in a little bit, but that's a whole nother animal of its own. <laughs> 
Wow, that's that's a really crazy story. So, would you be able to talk to us a bit more about how you created the opportunity to join the Go Butler team? Yeah, so that was, I mean, to create the opportunity to join the Go Butler team, it was honestly haphazard, if you will. Like, I, I think that one of the interesting things is that you know, throughout my career, I've always had kind of a north star, but not necessarily a good inclination of where I'm going. Never really a five year plan, you know. It's always just been more of a, a falling forward, you know, so I'm stumbling along this journey and I just keep falling forward and leaning on my previous experience to see, you know, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What have I historically studied very well to necessarily, you know, figure out what that next step is for me and where I believe I could really add value. So you touched a lot on some of the most trending topics in tech right now. So what's the most exciting part of messaging space both then and now in your opinion? Yeah, I think that, I mean, what you're kind of seeing out there is that you have these massive, you know, platforms throughout, uh, they're all geographic, like geographic specific. So they have, I mean, you have WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger over here domestically. You go up a little bit towards Canada, you have Kik, um, who has a pretty strong, like, stronghold on the younger demographic over here as well. Um, then you have the Lines, the WeChats, um, Kakao Talk. And essentially, you know, all of these players really got in and put a strong emphasis on messenger, uh, on messaging in at the right time. But they're kind of at the point where there is a strong saturation within each one of these different markets and they all have like their geographical footing. So there's really the next evolution. And I think that what we're seeing right now is how do we capitalize on, on these massive audiences where at least you look towards you look towards China and the messaging, like it's essentially asked, acting as the operating system. And everybody's doing everything over there within the WeChat environment. A lot of the companies, at least domestically over here in the United States, are now trying to figure out how can we do something similar? Do consumers want something similar? What's a, what's a good UX that you can provide within this messaging environment? And then also, you know, selfishly, how do you how do you make money off of that? And that's where kind of the emergence of bots and for a variety of other reasons, bots as well. It's easier for a development perspective. But really, I mean, it's, it's, it goes back to, you know, what can what, what service can we provide within this environment service or services that we can actually monetize, you know, from a Facebook perspective, when they spend twenty six, uh, twenty six billion dollars on an asset, eventually it has to return money, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you obviously did a lot, but how did you approach business development and operations at Go Butler, and what, what was your day to day like there? Biz Dev at Go Butler was very interesting because it was really myself. I was the one person responsible for it. So, I take a step back. You know, I was leading up operations in addition to business development. So, step one when I joined the company was really you know getting the right or like the right structure in place for operations, which was these people answering the queries. And we scaled that, you know, to, I think it was 50, 60 people at the, at the highest. And that was a whole, you know, animal in and of itself. But then eventually I'd say about three months into the job, it was, you know, building these biz, like these biz dev relationships with all these different verticals. So, I mean, we were a horizontal play, so you could have wanted you know, food delivery, but you could have also wanted the ability to have something like a courier send something to your house, or you wanted your foot, like your, your clothes dry cleaned or your dog walked. These are all different relationships, all different companies. Um, and step one for me was really, but what was the lowest hanging fruit in terms of making our agents more efficient? So what could I, like, what relationships could I form or what 
I guess step one was really, you know, what publicly was there available out there? Could we hit an API and make it so that we can automate this query to 30, 40% and then only have the agent finish it up or correct it if it's wrong? Then there was, you know, more private relationships. So those required actually reaching out to the companies um, and, you know, forging more of a relationship where not only did we, you know, get access to priority support and things along those lines, but private APIs and being able to plug into there, which also came along with a, you know, affiliate affiliate fees as well, so that we can actually start monetizing these relationships. It was a it was a whole like different animal in and of itself, um, and actually how you wanted to prioritize each one of these different services was also something that you know really took more of a, a like a business approach of what makes sense, you know, what verticals make sense for us to tackle first. Um, and then, you know, what makes sense to deprioritize? Because when you're dealing with about 20 different verticals, as the sole person focusing on business development, a lot of it's just time-based, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So, so based on your time, you know, growing the business and operation size at Go Butler, what were some of the biggest lessons learned? I can actually equate this to more, you know, from my perspective, I came from a seed stage company where I was one person for the first year of that company's life, you know, and as one person, you're literally wearing every hat in the business. Also, it kind of goes back to just my background in general. I think that Europeans in general are more inclined to think that they can do everything. I think that, you know, domestically that people focus on actually scale, like, which is, I think makes more sense is scaling an organization. Um, you have to have multiple layers of management, but that also increases complexity. So from a seed stage perspective, I necessarily didn't want, you know, more people involved. I thought that whatever, like, I just need more time for myself. And that turned out, you know, to me working seven days a week, unscalable, uh, because I was naive and that I thought I could take over the world. Um, what I learned at Go Butler is that, you know, you actually have to have an organization. You have to have layers of middle management. You have to have an organization in general. Um, otherwise, you can't scale a company. It's, it can't just be yourself. That was probably the most important thing was putting together, you know, quality people um, in between me. And when you're working with 60 people, it's impossible to do it yourself. Uh, particularly, I mean, Go Butler was a service where we promised anything, anywhere, at any time. Um, so to make that happen, you know, that's, that's 24 hours a day one person literally cannot do this. <laughs> uh, but that was one of the biggest things that, you know, I really took from it was, you know, in order to, to, to go fast. Yeah. There are times where you can sprint faster by yourself, but to go far, you need to go together. Yeah. It's a really good, really good point. And do you have any insight on, on how to do that? Especially since you have the experience of, of doing it all by yourself and then kind of joining a bigger team, like what, what, what do you look for when you're growing, I guess? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, there's also different evolutions of a company, you know? So at the earliest stage of a company, you're, you're going to want to, there is a benefit. Like I, I never look back and regret my seed stage experience simply for the fact that it taught me, you know, more than I could have probably learned in 10 years. Just because, I mean, you are like, there's no other option. It's either sink or swim. Um, so PR, you know, something comes in, you got to handle it. Um, engineering, something comes in, you have to handle it. Oh, there's a product question. Guess what? You're handling that. Something comes in from a UX perspective or design perspective. Guess who has to learn Photoshop? You, you know, so the education that you're going to get at that stage, uh, at that stage makes a lot of sense. And when you're bootstrapped, you, like I said, I mean, it's, it's sink or swim. But then as you start to kind of get a little bit more validation, a little bit more 
you know, um, product market fit. Um, I mean, if you could, I mean, if you're bootstrapping it or if it's a company that you can get cash flow positive, or if you're, you know, if you're in some, like a different type of business model where you're raising additional venture capital, the more resources you have, the more that you have to kind of switch towards a, a management mindset where, you know, you have a strategic idea for the vision of this company, but you need to plug people in that are frankly better than you at each one of those different disciplines and allow you the opportunity to kind of, you focus on, on, on what you know, you know, which is the strategic vision of the company, why, why people are investing in you or why you even got to where you are from a cash flow perspective. And then plug in people that can execute. And then also, you know, if you're hiring the right people, I think this goes back to A players versus B players. If they're A players, you barely even have to manage them, honestly, because they're, I mean, you give them the vision, you give them that North Star, and then they're going to be sprinting in that right direction. Um, of course, you're going to want oversight. You're going to want to have, you know, ideas of, uh, of where they're going with it. But that's the thing about A players is when you're working with them, like they know what to do and they know where to go. So like once they, uh, once you give them direction of where to go, let, let them, let them do their thing. You know, that's why you hired them in the first place. Uh, but that's materially different, all dependent on what stage of the company that you're at. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Or, or they'll figure it out either, either way. Exactly. Yeah. If you, if you're hiring the right people, that's the thing, you know, a lot, if, it, it all depends on the position you're looking for as well. If you're looking for more of that entrepreneurial mindset, there's, there's times now, you know, the company that I'm at right now is a company called Branch Metrics. It's based out of Palo Alto, California. And what we do is we actually, you know, if you're going to share your, share a link to an iPhone on the web, um, when somebody clicks that link, they go directly to the iPhone. The same thing doesn't necessarily happen within the mobile app ecosystem, you know. So, say if you had that, that same scenario, you share a link with uh, with Tyler. If Tyler has the Best Buy app installed, he would expect to click that link and go directly to that iPhone within the Best Buy app. You know, that doesn't necessarily happen now all the time. This concept of deep linking branch basically makes that work. We provide one link that works. You know, ultimately, this like I, I recently joined this company because it's such a like a, a foundational element of the mobile ecosystem. These links, you know, like you can think about links are links are everywhere. It's kind of how we access information on the internet and everything with the huge shift towards mobile. You know, it's going to be a core core foundation moving forward. And they were actually looking for you know two individuals to uh, to join the New York office over here and really build build out our presence with a lot of the, the largest mobile brands out here. So myself and my, my colleague, Tay, um, who joined from Bitly, just joined to uh, about two months ago, actually, to open up the New York office over here. And this has, it has been a fantastic two months, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. And what's great about this is that, you know, to tie this to like kind of my personal career development, I previously, you know, I had the seed stage experience launching my own company. I had the Series A experience while I go Butler, but this is like a whole nother level of growth in terms of like core product market fit, you know, seeing the next evolution in terms of this company just raised, you know, a Series B round of capital um, and seeing the differences at each one of these different stages is, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's humbling and it's also kind of a unique perspective that, that I really ha has kind of shaped my view of business in general. Yeah, it sounds super exciting. And, and congrats again. So, you know, part of your role there at, at Branch uh, is, is leading partner growth. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit more, like, how did you create the opportunity to join the team? And, you know, what what's involved in, in your role in, in partner growth? 
Yeah, so partner growth is kind of just a convoluted way of saying that, you know, we work with the top, uh, let's say, three, four hundred biggest mobile apps out there and getting them up and running with this deep linking technology. That's so, I mean, you're talking about the New York Times of the world, the Spotify's, the Airbnb's, the Pinterest. And a lot of this work, you know, has honestly like the core foundation. Like I just joined two months ago. I can't take credit for all this. Like the team over in Palo Alto is honestly amazing. Um, Part of the reason why I joined. But that's really, I mean, my job and and, and Tay as well is 70% of our time is really focusing on these core major applications over here, Um, just educating them. Because honestly, once they understand what deep linking is, you know, it's it's almost a no brainer. And then the other 30% of our time is really focusing on the event space and kind of, you know, the smaller applications out here, whether that be speaking at a a jet.com, you know. Um, conference, which we had last week, or or just attending meetups. Um, we have a massive meetup, uh, about 15,000 people throughout the world that branch hosts um, called Mobile Growth Meetup. And, you know, a lot of it's just getting the word out via kind of that, that, that meetup type, um, type events. Um, what was the, the, the second part of your question? Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. How, how you created the, the opportunity to join the team, I guess? Yeah. And that goes really back to the whole concept of, uh, you know, falling forward is, you don't necessarily, I think it's tough to know what you don't know. And when I was like, so, I mean, I leaned on, it's the same concept of when I joined Go Butler is that I knew what I knew. You know, I knew that I knew messaging at that point in time. Um, I thought that I had a good idea of what was happening forward. And I, I mean, that's where I placed my bet, you know, but ultimately it was, it was, uh, it was a stumble and a, and a gamble. And that's what a lot of early stages are too. I think that you, and you, think you need to look at the way that, you know, when you're joining a, a company, you need to kind of look at it the same way as, as an investor would look at an investment. You're going to be investing your time. You know, at the end of the day, it's probably your biggest resource. So you want to be putting as much diligence into that company uh, as a VC would be doing in terms of actually meeting with them, doing their, their, their due diligence and understanding, you know, where is this company going? Do you believe in the space? And actually, do you bring value to that position? So for branch in specific, it was me more understanding, you know, I had this background in consumer. I honestly just had this massive urge to go and understand more of an enterprise sales play. I haven't, I've never done it. And I thought that I could bring a unique perspective to the table in terms of, you know, they were opening up this New York office. So that's to kind of check the entrepreneurial box for me. Um, I wanted to do something enterprise, you know, check the box for me. Um, it was at this next stage of growth in terms of a Series B. So it checked that box for me. The most important thing, though, at the end of the day, honestly, was the team. You have to like who you're working with. You have to believe in the people that you're working with. And I can promise that there's probably no better company out there, no stronger team that I've seen than the Branch Metrics team. I mean, they are you know, hard workers, um, extremely intelligent and extremely humble. Those are uh, three of our core values. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, can, I can't speak highly enough of these guys. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so what's the, what's the culture like sort of between the East Coast and West Coast office? And I, I mean, I know you've only been there two months and just opened up that office, but what, what's that feel like for you guys? Yeah, so it's really unique. Um, I think that, I mean, when I joined Branch Metrics uh, with my colleague Tay, we actually spent our first five weeks training in Palo Alto, uh, the longest stint that I've spent out on the West Coast. And I've always been uh, an East Coast guy, you know, so I was actually very interested, you know, going into it to see how like that was my one of my core questions was how much different is it going to be out here? You know, and it was actually it's noticeably different. I mean, the West Coast is everything out there is tech, you know, so we were in Palo Alto, spent a decent amount of time in like San Fran proper and, you know, where you 
have in New York all this convergence of media, finance, you know, tech, fashion, everything out in uh, on the West Coast is really tech focused. Um, so that that in and of itself brings this huge cultural paradigm where it almost is as if you know people default to tech in terms of just their like even day to day conversations. So when you're talking to like for from like a branch perspective for us, when we're talking to companies out there, it's almost a default to be having more of a technical conversation. Where on the East Coast, New York in specific, it's really result like results oriented, and to the point where it's almost like insane in that like you need to get to the point in like the first couple seconds of your conversation, otherwise you lost somebody's attention in New York, and that really needs to be like you know what is it. Why should I care, and how is it going to help me? Like, you need to answer those three questions super quickly, or you lost that person in New York. You know, in on the West Coast, like to counter that is more like we're working on this awesome technology. Like, you can have a whole conversation just about that on the West Coast. So that's really like, I mean, like a massive one of the big things that I really pulled out. Where I mean, it's it's just so different based on based on that like like that cultural that cultural paradigm shift. You know. That's hilarious. <laughs> and so, you know, what what's the state of the mobile industry sort of from your perspective, especially for developers, you know, adding in this deep linking technology and sort of the difference between Apple and that controlled environment and maybe Google and, and search driven results? Uh, what, what's that like uh, from your perspective? Yeah, so I think, I mean, we're still really early in mobile in general. And that's a bold statement to say, given, you know, how, how I guess, I mean, one could argue the saturation level. Um, but the thing is, is like, I mean, what you've actually just this past uh, last week was, you know, Google I.O. And what I think that you're going to see is it's already kind of moving in this direction where the mobile applications, you know, where historically and even to the, like today, like they act as these like individual silos. Like if I want to go access New York Times content, I'm going to be accessing. I need to go download this application. I need to go find, you know this particular article and this is going to be the hub where I am accessing my New York con- like New York Times content on a daily basis. I think that you're going to start seeing that chipped away and a lot of what we saw at Google I.O. last week was the, the idea of you know instant apps um, where you're accessing content on more of a content by content basis like so in the case of New York Times an article by an article basis as opposed to you know having to actually go through this horrific user experience of downloading an application um, and then having to go and you know actually search for this article that you want, find this article, um, and then consume that content. And that's a little bit of about you know what we're doing right now in, at Branch is being able to link you to specific content within an application, irrespective of whether or not you have that app installed. But even on you know Google um, Google search and uh, like iOS Spotlight, what they're doing is if you scroll over and search now, it's surfacing individual content within applications. Um, so we're already moving towards that, and you know with Google's uh, Instant Apps, where you can actually load portions of an application. I'm sorry, I should have explained this. Google Instant Apps essentially allows you to you know if you're searching for uh, content, uh, uh, searching for an article on the New York Times. You can actually surface that content and only download the portion of the application that you need to. So you're, it's a much quicker user experience. It's essentially making applications, which are like native applications, significantly faster than the mobile web. 
now it's kind of the convergence of the two where you're getting the benefits of the mobile web in terms of actually being able to interact with content, like specifically on a content by content basis. But this is all happening native on your device. So you're getting it significantly faster than the mobile web. That's incredible. It sounds like a, a pretty crazy transition that uh, really excited to see, you know, what else what else comes about with it? Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, and, you know, that, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier is that we're still super early in mobile and there's a nice long road ahead of us. And people, I mean, you have some of the biggest players out there fighting for all this screen real estate. And I mean, Google in specific, you know, they never really fully made the transition from desktop search to mobile search, you know, uh, and, and where why is that important? It's really because, you know, all eyeballs now, as you can see by any statistical trends, are really moving towards, you know, the mobile device. So what is the most powerful way to search on your mobile device? I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, going to this one particular box, typing in something and, um, and then finding a bunch of blue links and clicking on those blue links. I think that you're starting to see Google experiment with some ways within their, their native search to, uh, to kind of up it where there's the more of the card base. Um, interactions where, you know, if you search for a particular actor, then it could show you the movies that there are and you swipe and you scroll or even being able to access that via voice. There's some cool stuff happening there, but nobody's, I mean, it really goes back to this whole idea of nobody's really figured out search on mobile. They just basically took desktop search and ported it to mobile. Uh, so that's going to be, you know, if you can imagine how big of a shift that was for, for when Google really tackled the desktop market. I still think that that's out for grabs on mobile and uh, that's going to be a massive opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with like voice and, and other uh, NLPs and stuff like that. Like it's, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, insane to see what kind of technology gets developed around those behaviors or how we shape, you know, technology to, to fit those behaviors. So that's really, really cool. So what's next for you and, and branch metrics, uh, keeping all that in mind, I guess. Yeah. So for branch in general, I mean, we are, we're really just getting started. So we have over 10,000 apps that are using us now. Um, we see about one third of the United States on any given day in terms of users. So I think it's just over 1.4 billion users as of our last count um, on a daily basis. Uh, kind of crazy. And, you know, when I say we're just getting started is that I, I was there 1.5 to two, uh, like 2 million apps within the app store, uh, iOS only, you know, so we're, we're really kind of, you know, just getting our feet wet in terms of the people that have adopted us so far are really, you know, the strongest mobile brands, the people that are really focused on, on uh, that, that core user experience of being able to actually deep link your users to specific content within your app. But as this becomes, like, we see this, like, deep linking, moving towards the same way that, you know, if I were to send you a link to, you know, a specific pair of shoes on, on desktop web, and you click that link, like, let's just say those shoes were Kohan shoes, and you went to kohan.com, you'd be like, what the hell is wrong with this link? You know, we see mobile moving in the same way where deep linking is just going to become the standard. It's going to become, you know, the, like the, the experience where if it's not deep link, then you're going to be, you're, as a user, you're going to be pissed off, <laughs> to put it frankly. So that's kind of the like, first step for us. I think that what's also interesting is we're launching a lot of, uh, you know, enhanced premium products. One of the cool products that we have right now is a smart banner. Um, so you'll see these banners sitting at the top of your mobile website. We offer kind of, a, I think iOS offers a, uh, a standard smart banner, which is, you know, it allows you to basically just link your user to the, to the, um, to the app store. 
our smart banner is you can kind of think about that on steroids. Um, it's completely free. This could you could deep link your users to specific content. You know, so if a user is like on a on a um, article on the New York Times and they click that link, they click get on that smart banner, they're going to be taken to the app store. Once they download that application, they'll be opened up exactly to that same article. So it holds all of that context. This is also, it works cross platform, you know, and it's fully customizable. So you can make it look exactly like your brand. Uh, it's we're, what we're going to be doing for the second evolution of the company is offering, you know, these, these are all free services that we offer right now. And literally anything that on our, our website right now is completely free. The next evolution is going to be offering paid premium services, um, you know, integrating with major email service providers, um, doing stuff all along the marketing stack. That's kind of phase two for the company. Phase three is going to be actually going out there. And I mean, ultimately, why our company was started in the first place is to solve mobile discovery. You know, so right now, if, uh, if somebody launches an application um, in the app store, you're statistically basically screwed out of the gate, you know. Um, being able to go out there and pump up your application via ads is going to cost you about $4.15 to acquire a user. Um, very few business models support that. So it's about like, and that's not to say that the content that's happening within these applications is, is poor, you know, like there could be a lot of great content within that application, but just because of these wall gardens where, you know, you're living as a silo of an application, your statistical odds of actually surviving within the app store are so minimal. Um, it's not even worth it. So we want to flip that trend. We want to bucket and make it so that you can actually, you know, act, access that content and discover content on a content by content basis. So you, you're not you're not going out there and actually interacting with one siloed application. We're going to make it so that it's that much more streamlined user experience. You're going to be able to basically, you know, it goes back to uh, being able to access content similar to the benefits of the mobile web, except also getting all the major speed enhancements of uh, a native application. All sounds amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're able to produce over the next couple of months to years at, uh, at Branch Metrics. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, like I said, we're still getting started. So, so keep an eye on us. We're just... Uh, <laughs> Branch.io, another shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are some of the most recent apps or tools that you've checked out either for your personal you know, life or for professional use? Yeah, I'm a huge, so I've been doing a lot more traveling now. Um, at Branch, you know, Tay and I are covering the East Coast as well as a lot of Europe. Uh, so what I, one of the awesome, like, and I love these guys more than I care to admit, is uh, Hopper. You know, I, and they're just, it's such a great application amazing UX plus like I've, I've checked this like so many different times and they always consistently find me. so hopper is a, a flight uh, an application where you can find flights it's like I said a stream like a, a streamlined UX super easy to figure it out it gives you everything in terms of what's the best time to fly what's the cheapest time to fly uh, if you don't want to purchase it now when should you book you can actually have a feature where you click that flight uh, the duration of time where you want to go and it's just going to send you uh, send you a push notification and say, you know, they do a lot of quantitative stuff on the back end that will tell you when to buy. So they'll actually, yeah, they'll send you a push and say, you know, purchase right now. The flight's not going to get any cheaper. I haven't seen anybody out there who's doing flights as well as Hopper. And uh, yeah, I love those guys. They made my life so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I actually just downloaded their app uh, a couple of weeks ago. I heard of them a long time ago, but just never downloaded the app. And and uh, yeah, I got a couple of flights coming up in the next uh, few months. So I'm going to be using them as well. And like you said, the UI is amazing. And to be able to get notifications when flights are the cheapest is, is really cool. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's it's changed my life. <laughs> Do you have any other travel apps that you you've used that that help you out going from the east to west coast? Yeah, so I think that I mean there are. Uh, let's bring this full circle back to some bots. There is this other application that just launched. Uh, I haven't used it, so I can't necessarily back it. But uh, this app called Lola Travel, L-O-L-A. They, I think that, I mean, they raised a significant amount of money. I think like 32 million. They're founded by the, one of the co-founders of Kayak. And they allow you to interact with bots, uh, interact with actual human agents and go ahead and book your flight that way. So I mean, one of my thesis on bots in general is that where I'm actually kind of bearish on bots, I think that there are a few segments where bots make sense. And like three of those, like while run through each one of them very quickly is number one is where you were historically dealing with like an expert. Um, That's something that kind of translates easily to a bot type environment because you're, it makes sense from the agent perspective, the person who's fielding the queries. Um, they can handle now multiple queries at once. And then on the user experience side of the equation, it's just a much better user experience. You'd rather be texting than you know interacting with this person in person or, or even interacting with them, like, especially on the phone. So where do, like, what industries does that make sense? I think that personal shopping where you have uh, somebody like an operator and then travel, you know, from like dealing with where historically it would have been, you know, a travel agent. That's where like I think a Lola travel and there's probably some opportunity over there. What I think is another major area that low hanging fruit and Facebook really kind of like, I mean, was running with this at F8 is the ability to actually like take customer support. Um, that's also kind of a no brainer for me as well. Where for the same reasons as that as that expert level, um, being able to actually from the agent perspective, having being able to field multiple queries, so you're more efficient, um, and then user experience, like the user would rather just be texting with customer support than having to go through that that horrific process of uh, you know staying on the phone, pressing buttons. Um, it's just not a not a good user experience. So I think that those are going to be the like you know the two major areas where you're really going to see you know bots hone in on and really add value. Um, from a, like the third perspective, like consumer, I've yet to see a killer consumer use case. It's not to say that there isn't going to be one. I think that now with like this massive focus and, and resources, frankly, in the space of, of uh, bots, you know, or what we have come to call bots, there's definitely going to be some that emerge, but it's still early, like super early for bots in general. And uh, I don't know what those, I don't necessarily know what those, you know, consumer use cases are, but I'm, I'm curious to, uh, to watch it play out. Same here. Do you have any recommendation on great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video, or a blog post? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I access almost all of my content now on Twitter. I've pretty much gone through, like, when you go from five years ago, like me starting my own company, um, like, I really started curating my own lists of who I follow, who I think produces the best content. Um, and without naming, like, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of great people out there producing, you know, solid content when it comes to startups. Paul Graham, obviously, is a lot of, you know, must read out there. I think that's kind of a, the startup Bible, if you will. But then if you want to actually stay up to date, it's more so finding the thought leaders in your particular segment, you know, who's creating content in your segment. I think that hack to start is fantastic, you know, like resource for early stage and actually hearing, you know, that entire evolution from the entrepreneur's perspective. Then there's also other resources such as, you know, my buddy AJ Rajani's um, podcast where he focuses 
not on where traditionally a lot of people focus on the founders, you know, the investors. Um, AJ is flipping that a little bit and focusing on the employees, the operators, the people that are actually, you know, behind the scenes making everything work. Uh, that's another interesting perspective. So it's a little bit of a convoluted answer that I'm giving you here, but it's really relevant to what you're trying to get out of it. You know, so it's finding those thought leaders. And, uh, you know, I, I, if they're producing regular content on Twitter, that's really the holy grail because um, it's easy. It's quick to access. And that's something that you can even uh, I'll use Instapaper where if there's a longer article and I can't get throughout like throughout the course of the day. I'll, uh, I'll just, you know, save that real quick and then I'll, I'll like read it over the course of the weekend. So that's probably, that's pretty much where I get the majority of my, uh, my content from. Yeah, it's awesome. Lots of great resources there that uh, we'll make sure we link to. So, you know, you, you packed a ton into uh, 40 minutes there. Do you have any last thoughts or, or personal models that you like to live by and you think other people should know about just to kind of cap this, uh, this episode off? Yeah, I think that, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, ultimately, like if you have an inkling for startups, whether you're coming from a traditional corporate background, you have to do two things. One, you need to be mindful of like, what do you need to learn, you know, uh, to get to your point, to get to a point like I spent, you know, the better part of almost three years teaching myself what I needed to do before I actually went out there and, and did something about it. But I knew I had to scratch that itch. So, you know, where some people will tell you to jump out there and just dive straight into the deep end. And for a lot of people, that's probably horrible advice because you're, you're not, like, you don't know what you don't know. So take the time, you know, like do this in a safe place where you can actually, you know, teach yourself what you don't know, surround yourself with advisors, go out there, read, learn everything um, or learn as much as you can and then put yourself in a good position. When you dive into the deep end, you actually know what you're doing. You know how to swim. So it's a lot of it, it's like gut check yourself. Do you actually want this, you know? Um, and then if you do, you know, do the same thing that any athlete would, you know, like make sure that you're prepared, make sure you're going out there, you're training yourself, you're putting yourself in the best position to succeed. I, I think that we did, we have uh, a dearth of actual, and as much as people I think would actually say otherwise, of like Fareed Zakaria this past week on CNN was actually saying how you know, our generation, while we really promote and evangelize, you know, founders in general, we actually have, you know, statistically, the lowest amount of you know start successful like game changing startups that have been out there. I think the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies were actually more successful. Uh, and I think that a lot of it is kind of this whole concept of entrepreneurs versus people that are actually going out there and, and really want it for the right reasons and, and really are willing to work for it. So yeah, I think I mean full and looping that full circle, it's really you know gut check yourself and put yourself in the best position to succeed, and then you know hit the ground running and run like hell. Awesome. What a great way to end the episode. Adam, thanks so much, man, for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. Franco, Tyler, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support, so please leave us a review. Until next week.